Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Blizzard Watch Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm the host of this thing, and with me, as always, is Jovial Joe Perez. I'm giving him, like, a Marvel Comics intro. I, I can't say anything about that. Jovial is pretty good right now. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that description. Just up front, I had to alliterate. It was that or oh, jolting. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to call you jolting, Joe Perez. I was like, that's, that's kind of rude. He doesn't jolt people that I'm aware of, and if he does, it's really his business. Although I, now I definitely want the old 90s soda jolt cola, which can no longer exist. No, no, don't. Don't drink that. Oh, my God. <laughs> when I was in college, I used to DJ, and I always DJed on the night shift. Mm-hmm. And one, one night, I decided uh, while I was talking to a friend that I would bring an entire case of jolt to the studio and drink it while we were on the air, and we would like tell people how it was affecting me. Uh, and keep in mind, I drank a lot of caffeine all the time back then i got through four cans of that soda and i was vibrating yeah like i started having the heart thing for for those of- for those of you that are, are, are maybe younger and don't don't know what joe cola is joe cola was red bull before red bull ever existed joe cola was like they decided that you know mountain dew didn't have enough caffeine they wanted a can of cola that had about as much caffeine as an entire six pack of coca-cola yep it was crazy high caffeine, and I just, I was buzzing after I got done drinking it, so. And it was either that or Surge Cola, because Surge had the same thing, just citrus flavored. Surge was, like, terrifying. Surge <laughs> was seriously not, Did, uh, yeesh, it didn't even taste good. It was like getting Sur- hit in the face with a sock made out of caffeine. Sur- Surge is like, is like Kanja Cola in WoW. It, it opens up your mind to new possibilities, or it could just be a drug effect. You don't know. All those new possibilities involve having to pee really bad. <laughs> but that's but anyway, that's that's yeah. not why you guys are here. <laughs> One assumes. I mean, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, actually, this week, last week, we did nothing but talk about emails and, and questions because there wasn't much to talk about. This week, we have a lot to talk about. Um, so we may, I don't know how many emails we're going to get to, but we'll see. We'll find out. Uh, first one up, though. Uh, Blizzard did a Diablo Immortal update this, this past week. And... I love you guys, Blizzard, and I get why you might have felt the need to do a Diablo Immortal update, but you literally said nothing. And I'm a little irked, just because something something as simple as... I don't know how to put this. It was basically a post where you said, hey, remember Diablo Immortal? We're still working on it. And that was it. That was the sum total of information contained in this post. Joe, did you read it? Yeah, it's a whole lot of nothing. Yeah, like, like I, I, I don't, I, I'm not begrudging you the need to tell us that the game still exists because I get you. Uh, we've had this pandemic happening; a lot of stuff has been going on. People may have forgotten, but in all sincerity, guys, I mean, could could you have had like maybe announced that you're you're working to have a, a test of some sort of the game? Don't even have to tell me when, but tell me you are going to do one. Because that wasn't, there was literally, the last time you said anything about testing this game was back in February. And I don't know if you noticed this, but three and a half million years have passed since February. And you still haven't done the regional tests that you talked about in February. And you didn't mention them again in this recent post you just did. I'm like, I get that you're doing internal testing. I'm, I'm really glad you're doing internal testing. That's cool. You should t- definitely do internal testing on Diablo Immortal. When are you going to do something else? And I, I mean, this is a game that that, that was to- we were told last year that the 
the principal work on it was finished by Net Zero. They 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 said we're basically done. Uh, we handed it off, and I, I mean, guys, just one piece of news, one of one piece of actual news would have been good. Is all yeah, I'm saying. And and I think some of it is they might be a little. I don't want to say burn, but they might be a little afraid of North American reception to it. Still, I yeah, think that yeah. I think yeah, that's I still you. a problem, right? Like uh, people, people up here in, in North America didn't exactly we weren't we were not kind when it came to the announcement of it. Myself included, initially because it was sticker shock for me. Uh, I've I've apologized and and walked back some of my my statements, but like I get it, and I think that initial fear of of further backlash has kept them pretty tight as far as news on that goes, because again we're probably not the chief market for it. And I think they're trying to be as cautious with it as they can. So they just don't get attacked. Yeah. And I mean, I will never be one to argue that the response that the game got at the time was, was warranted. I think at the time I said, yeah, whoa, guys, chill. It's, I think a lot of the problem was a lot of us, myself included, had expected Diablo four to be announced in 2018. Yeah, that, that year I think that was mainly what it was. We all expected one thing and then got that, and it wasn't what we expected. Yeah, and I think a lot of people did not handle the news as well as they could have. Um, so, but yeah, still, at this point, Liz, I mean, I'm I'm super happy that you are still working on Diablo Immortal. I'm really excited to get to see this game because it's going to be set between Diablos 2 and 3, which means it's going to expand out the lore, and I'm really looking forward to that. But I, I, I something else, maybe like... I, I don't know. It felt like this post didn't tell me anything. <laughs> it just and and I don't know. I don't know. Like when when that's what happens, it feels like I have to comment on it. But that's not all that they talked about last week. Thankfully, they actually talked about a lot of actual stuff. Uh, one of them is pretty substantial changes to how heirlooms are going to work in Shadowlands. Um, I don't know how you, if you guys have been keeping up on this. Basically, the Shadowlands, what they're calling the new player experience. Oh, by the way, this came out. This is related. This came out today. The the patch 9.0.1 pre-patch for Shadowlands is on the PTR right now as we're recording this. And by the time you hear it, if you're listening to the recording, they will have moved on to testing week two of the pre-expansion event. Right now, week one of the pre-expansion event is on the PTR. So that's something that I felt like needed to be mentioned. Uh, we'll go back to the heirloom scene now, but we'll come back to that. The, the heirloom changes are pretty substantial. Joe, did you get a chance to see what they were? I did, actually. I have them up in front of me as well because it's important to talk about. I mean, the, the, the first thing is they're, they're now working as a set bonus, which is kind of huge. Like, it's not individual pieces of this gives you 10%, this gives you 10%, this gives you 10% anymore. There's a two, three, four, and six-piece set bonus. That's actually kind of cool. I don't know how you feel about that, but I actually really like it. I like it in concept. Like I like the idea of a set bonus. I am not 100% sold on the particular set bonuses they're giving us. Specifically, the one that gives you effectively a, bo- a boost to your primary stat when you level that you can extend up through a kill streak type bonus. Uh, the reason I don't necessarily like it is I'm not sure how it'll work. So I need to see it. Mm-hmm. And you need to actually get to play it before I, I actually have opinions on it. So, in fact, the PTR might be useful there because I might be able to bust the heirlooms out and, and check and check them out. You can't really test heirlooms on the PTR right now, on the on the beta right now. So that would be something interesting to, to know. Because as it stands right now, 
the way the it, the, the, the set bonus is worded, you get this buff to your primary stat by like 40% when you level, and then you can extend it by two minutes by killing something. And it doesn't say if the extension can be repeated. Can you stack this thing over and over can again? You can you keep it going? Yeah. yeah. Can you keep yourself at 40% primary stat for an entire level by, by just killing I, stuff? And for that matter, does that work in World of Warcraft? Where mobs... Diablo 3, the killstreak bonuses are big in Diablo 3. And the way they work in Diablo 3, stuff dies real fast. And you stack up these bonuses. Like, say you got a 2% bonus that you stack every time you make a kill. You have to make a new kill in 15 seconds. That's doable in Diablo. In WoW, two minutes to, to, re, to reapply a bonus might actually be a long time because it's very easy to kill everything in an area and then be more than two minutes away from anything else you could kill. It's just the mob density is not the same in WoW as it is in Diablo. Yeah, which is, which is definitely to be something to be cognizant of, but that might yeah. also be intentional, right? Like that It absolutely no- might be. So knowing that might be something that you don't have somebody who just hits a level and then just steamrolls everything. Um, and for that matter, there's other stuff to the set bonuses. Uh, you have them up in front of you. So you yeah, probably the, be, yeah. Yeah. So the, the first, let's just go through them real quick so that everybody has them all in, uh, in their heads. Uh, so a two piece set bonus, your rested experience consumed is reduced by 30%. That doesn't sound exciting, but this is actually kind of a really big deal for me. Uh, this is actually something that uh, is a holdover from City of Heroes back in the day when they gave you ways to reduce essentially what was rested XP um, or or I forgot what they called it, but it was like something that that helped you uh, reduce the amount of debt you incurred and things like that. Um, but that 30 percent reduction in consuming of rested experience is really, really nice. It means that your rested XP lasts so much longer. Um, means you can keep playing more and actually like when you log out for a day and you come back, you actually possibly have some meaningful rested XP to get. Um, your three piece set bonus increases your out of combat regeneration in the outdoors, normal dungeons and battlegrounds, which again is big. Uh, increasing your regeneration reduces the downtime that you have between quests, means you don't have to go hunting for food as often or drink as often, uh, and you can keep moving and keep doing things and keeps you engaged in the game. Uh, we already talked about the burst of knowledge, which is at uh, your four-piece set bonus. We don't have the full rundown of that, but I guess we will soon. Uh, and then we have the six-piece set bonus, which is rested experience consumed is reduced by additional 30%. I really like how this is set up. I like this so much better than the flat XP gain from heirlooms. I think this will work out better and and more favorable for players who are leveling, especially when you're leveling alts, because it gives you an incentive to not only take small breaks, but makes those breaks actually have some impact on the game because you're not eating all of your rested XP. So that's my two cents on it. What do you think? You think in general, I, I do like it as an idea, and I definitely think it's it's an interesting way to make set bonuses back in the game because we have lost set bonuses in Battle for Azeroth. So I'm glad to see them coming back uh, in Shadowlands. I'm glad to see them coming back on Heirlooms because that means Heirlooms are going to be people's first gear set in a lot of mm-hmm. cases. Mm-hmm. Um, although you'll only have Heirlooms if you have a main. So, But nevertheless, it, it is going to be a way to make Heirlooms something useful to you 
if you've got them some some way to they still give you a benefit and that's something i think is useful that they still preserve that sense of okay i expended all this time and effort what did i get for it besides getting to look at armor sets that they used to have back in the day so yeah i think that's a good move but we'll we'll see how we like them uh coming up next uh, i'm going to talk about this one i think we've mentioned the ptr mm-hmm. i'm not sure what else to say about the ptr other than effectively if you're not if you're if you're like sitting here going i really want to know what's going to happen when i log in and and shadowlands is the pre-patch has started my character is different and all that stuff that's this ptr is very useful for that if you want to go see okay this is what my character is going to look like this is the stuff i can do to change and customize their look this is what i can make my character look like that'll be there on the ptr if you're like i want to know what the class changes are going to be and how my character is going to play for a month before Shadowlands actually starts, you can test that out on the PTR. And please, if you go on the PTR, please give feedback. Because they're doing this to try and get that that pre-expansion month as smooth as possible. Uh, and that's one of the things people often go on the PTR and they don't really they don't do any replying. They don't they don't say to the player, "Here's the bugs, here's the issues." That's something you very much want to do. Um, I remember going back to Wrath of the Lich King. The month before Cataclysm came out, Blizzard made some changes in Wrath of the Lich King, the, the, the pre-expansion month for, for, for Cataclysm, that made Fury Warriors like double the DPS of anybody else. Like At the time, 2k DPS was pretty good, and I was doing 9k on my barely geared Fury Warrior. Like crazy, crazy high DPS on that, on that for the time. And of course, they then had to fix it, and we got nerfed. <laughs> but part of the reason that it happened was because they they made a, a change because they'd gotten rid of armor penetration, so they made a change to the way other stuff stacked, and Fury Warriors basically got the double dip on it. And so we were getting haste benefits, and we were getting flurry benefits, and we were just blowing things up. And of course, I loved it a lot, like so so much. You have no idea. But <laughs> nevertheless, it was busted, and they had to fix it. When they put out a PTR like this, this is your time to go test things like that. So that, you know, if your class is busted, I know the, ten- the temptation is to just not say anything and hope it goes live like that, but you're just going to get nerfed anyway. And it's going to hurt when you're like, you know, one, one week you're like, yeah, I'm a god, and the next week, oh, man, I'm, I hit like a noodle. It's better to like tell them up front and help them adjust this stuff. Class balance is really important, and it's really always the most in flux during these periods of adjustment. And you can also, there's going to be the, the pre-expansion event, the storyline that's going to lead into Shadowlands. We're going to get to see it, and you, you can help people make sure that it is not broken. Uh, when we did, do you remember the Mist of Pandaria launch? I do. Did you do it Alliance side or Horde side first? Uh, Alliance side. Do you remember the gyrocopters that didn't work? Yep, I sure do. The gyrocopters that didn't work literally meant that for like several people who were trying to get server first for their character had to basically sit there for like an hour hoping the thing would reset mm-hmm. while horde, horde people were just going right through and getting higher levels. And there was a lot of wailing and, and, and gnashing of teeth, but could have been fixed if more people had gone on the PTR and tested it. So... Definitely consider, if you're interested at all in this kind of definitely consider getting on the BTR and doing some testing. The more testing they, they get done, the better. All right, covered that. 
Uh, whew, do you want to talk about one transmog? Yeah, let's talk about one. Yeah, because I think I think it's important. All right. Um, I'm gonna let you talk because I've been talking a lot. Sure. So just tell people what's going on. So basically, one of the things we've been talking about a long time is is the idea of why can't certain things be transmogged into other things? And one of those items has always been uh, wands. Wands are exceptionally restricted. Well, not anymore! Wands will now be able to be transmogged into any one-handed weapon usable by the caster. That's fantastic news. Uh, especially for those of, of you out there that wind up, you know, main-handing a wand, but don't want to look like you're, you know, an extra in a Harry Potter novel. Uh, you want to have a really, like, you have a really great sword that you just want to have at your hip, and that's your magic wand is really a sword. Yeah, well, you can do that. That's really, really cool. You can you can bust out the, the Queldalars or the Hammer of the Purified Flames, and it, it's, it's good. It shows that they're loosening the restrictions... Uh, they're they're loosening their grip uh, a little bit on transmog, and for me the biggest part of this is that it signifies that there might be other changes coming down. Maybe some of the ones we talked about, like with fist weapons and daggers and, and things like that. So yeah, I would also like to think one of the things I really like to see is them letting certain like there's no real reason that at this point that priests shouldn't be able to use swords or that mages and and warlocks shouldn't be able to use maces. Mm-hmm. Um, there, like, there's master axes out there for like you know druids and shamans and paladins. That, why shouldn't a mage be able to use a caster axe? I mean, come on. Well, why can I use a sword but not an axe? I mean, it's not like it's easier to use a sword than an axe. <laughs> you know, pick up an axe, hit someone with the edge of it. That's all you do. It's like you know, well, it's like a hatchet. Especially when we, we when we talked about this last week, consider how many people on Azeroth were formerly like farmers or or peasants. They know how to use an axe, a hatchet. Come on, come on. Yeah, it's it is one of those things that I, I really would like to see them do, especially for casters, because it's one of my biggest problems with casters is I find them boring because they are, they are so restricted on items they can use, and I love it if you could have like you know imagine a mage who can totally use like who, who could use a pole arm. Yeah, and you could have caster pole arms. Why not? They, they think they do have a few caster pole arms, so you can totally have one, and that would be great. So I, I don't know. I, I I want to see transmog get loosened up. So anytime I see a change like this, I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah, and and I think there's I've, there's been a few people I've interacted with over the last couple of days regarding this topic that you know have pointed out that it's still a uh, a problem for PvP, and you want to be able to see what weapons somebody has. Uh, Okay, there's plenty of things in the game that remove your transmog temporarily. I don't see why they couldn't just make PvP zones just remove your transmog temporarily and put you back to whatever your base model is. If it, on the, weapons, if it really came down to it. I'm going to just be the one to say this. It's 2020, guys. You're not PvPing in 2004 anymore. <laughs> it, it just get over it. Oh god, I can't immediately decide what that guy is and immediately macro a solution to him. You, I actually have to wait and he might do something before I can kill him. Yes, that would be good. That would make PvP better if you couldn't just immediately know, okay, here's how to completely ruin that guy's day and people actually get the PvP for a little bit longer before they die. No, um, that's the reason so many people get turned off PvP is because they don't get to do anything before they get destroyed. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, 
I, I you know, if they're wearing a dress, you know what I mean? You already know that they're going to probably be bad time for you. And you know, is it really that big a deal? Like, okay, it might be a priest. Uh, it might be a shadow priest. You don't know. They're all using daggers. You're going to tell me you honestly can tell the difference? And, Come on. Most, and, most daggers are huge now. And uh, and one thing I will add is, and this is something that uh, a couple of folks in, in chat have mentioned, uh, 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 Yoya, uh, who's been, this is their first live show, so welcome, Yoya. Um, the idea of casters with pole arms is really great for me, and it's something I've actually wanted since Mist of Pandaria. Like, you can't tell me that a Pandaren mage wouldn't know how to use a polearm like the rest of its kin. Like, come on. Excuse me, me is like, I mean, I, I'm, I love a lot of games. I play a lot of games. One of the games I really enjoy, one of the games I've absolutely loved is the Dragon Age series. And they only use quote-unquote stabs. But the, look, this, one of the stabs you get is like got a giant blade on the end of it. That's a polearm. Once you put a blade on the end of it, it's a spear now. Yep, same thing. You know, there is no functional difference between a staff with a blade on the end of it and a spear. It is now a spear. That's what you've made. Listen, I've got rope and I've got a dagger and I've got a stick. I'm good. I got a spear now. Yeah, like it, it is. It yeah. may not be the best put together spear, but I mean, it's like okay, that's not a spear because it's more like an axe on the end of a stick. Well, now it's a Beck to Corbin. It's still a polearm. Yep. Um, you know, it's still basically just a staff with a pointy bit on the end of it. I, I just, I really feel like some stuff really should be, should be relaxed, and that's one of them. Yeah, I agree, and I think we've talked but, about that a lot. So, but I will probably keep talking about this forever. So I'm going to force myself to shift gears. Um, one of the things that I've, you'll notice, I'm playing my hunter on the stream. If you're watching the stream, which a lot of you aren't, because we record the show, but. For people watching, they notice I'm playing my hunter. The reason I'm playing my hunter is because I am desperately fighting to get my hunter to level 120 by the time that Shadowlands comes out. And I'm, I got a pretty good shot at it. I got her up to 110 today. And here's why: they've now people have data mined. People have actually gone on the on the Shadow the Shadowlands beta and tested this. You can now tame mammoths. You can tame snakes, mm -hmm. and you can tame a whole bunch of other stuff. I went and tamed a snake myself to make absolutely sure I wasn't selling people a bill of goods. Uh, but there's rams. You can now tame rams. They now have the goat family is now called the Gruffhorn family. So it's got rams in it, too. So if you want to be a dwarf who's riding a ram while sending a ram to ram people, you totally can. Um, there's there's actually, like, a ton of stuff. There's a lot of they're, – they're making it so you can tame something like 200 pets. Like, you'll have, like, a two, like some huge amount – of stable slots, so you it, can tame a ton of pets as it well. It makes sense. It's been it's been long. This is another thing that's been long overdue, especially with like snakes. We've had NPCs that have had been able to have a bunch of these pets for ages, ages, and just player characters have never been able to. This is fantastic. Changes. And, and I'm aware of the Sand Fury Guardian, by the way, guys, because back in vanilla days, my wife dragged me to to Zulfarok. And we had to do ridiculous things so she could tame one of the Sand Fury Guardians. Like, I had to thunderclap and pull them all out, and then she had to shoot one of them to get it to come away from me so mm -hmm. she could tame it. And then we, we had to PvP all the time because you couldn't feed the Sand Fury Guardian. And back then, if you couldn't feed your pet, it would get unhappy and leave you. Yep. And they did that because they didn't know they, it was a fix for people taming them in the first place because they didn't want people to have the Sand Fury Guardian. But she figured out a way because she went to PvP, and every time she died, her pet would get reset to full health, I mean, to full happiness. So, 
I'm aware of the San Fury Guardian. San Fury Guardian does not look like a snake. The San Fury Guardian looks like a manta ray on a stick. And that's I'm not saying it's bad, but my wife wanted a snake that looked like a snake. And now she can have one. And now I'll I will stop being asked to ask Blizzard to give her one. <laughs> so everybody wins. But now but, but now we got extra options too. Besides that, you want to have a oh, sky, yeah. got sky snake? Tame yourself a cloud serpent. Yeah. You can yeah, do that. Cloud now. serpents. There's undead beasts that are possibly going to be tameable. Yep. There's a book that you can, and that, that's really cool for undead. You know, if you're playing undead hunter and you want to have like a skeleton dinosaur. Oh, I want gluth. I want gluth yeah. so badly. Uh, I'm not too big on the, either the cloud serpents or the uh, the uh, beasts, but I am super interested in mammoths. Like, I yeah. am so interested in taming a mammoth. Um, I'm like, I can't even tell you. I, w- I want to be riding an elec while using an elec and another elec as a beast monster hunter. I'll have two elecs as my pets. As you see, how I've got two. My, my hunter has currently got two tigers. And I'm totally going to have two elecs and then a third elec that I'm riding on. That yeah. is my goal. Yeah. So, yeah. I fully support this. Fully support this. Yeah, there's a there's actually a lot coming there, so that's that's super exciting. I feel like there's a lot of interesting stuff coming out for Shadowlands. We've talked about quite a bit of it. We're going to talk about one more right now, though. This one, this one's kind of an up <laughs> in the air. I'm not sure what it's going to be, but old Blanche. Remember old Blanche? We. Horse. Oh man, you, say what you're going to say. I I want to gloat after you're done. Old Blanche, who possibly you know you might remember as the horse that saved Thrall by making a ton of noise and luring a bunch of people into the barn so we could kill them out of sight of everybody. Don't go telling me that that horse got Thrall in trouble. That horse saved Thrall. Mm-hmm. Um, also, th- that was when Blanche was young, Blanche. But when Blanche got older, moved down to Westfall, possibly, you know, because it was evacuating the area due to the scourge. I don't know. But it, it died serving the family, the, the Thrallbrows, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it had a good life as a horse. It good run, good sturdy horse. And now, some for some reason... Apparently, Blanche is now the Sin Runner. Uh, I don't know what's going on with that, but go ahead and do the thing you're going to do, Joe. Whoever listened to this podcast and listened to this joke that we made months ago and decided that this needed to be a thing, thank you. Because literally, and I was going back through it way, way with like when Shadowlands first started happening, right when you first got into the alpha... And we got a question coming in of who we wanted to see uh, in Shadowlands. And I made the, the comment that, unironically, I want Blanche. Because Blanche has been in every single expansion except for the last two. And it is awful. And I miss Blanche. And now Blanche's back. <laughs> and we joked. And Matt made this joke that clearly, clearly, you know, Blanche would be in a place of sin. Because... Of Blanche, whatever. I forgot what your reasoning was for it. But whoever decided to, to take that idea and make it real, thank you. Fantastic. I, I feel, I, I, unlike Joe, I think that was probably just a coincidence. But nevertheless, <laughs> it's cool. Yeah, so there's a whole thing about this, this Sin Runner on the... Uh, they data mined it out. They don't know exactly where it is or how to get it, but there's like steps involved. There's some speculation it's going to be like the Lucid Nightmare was. It's going to be like a secrets thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. But we do know that Blanche is there, so that's pretty cool, in my opinion. Um, I will yeah, farm uh, this mount. I will find a way to get this mount. Trying to think. If it is a mount. Uh, we've done everything except, yeah, okay. So we'll talk about this, and then we will actually move on to try and do some emails. Um, 
if you don't, if you play Diablo three, season twenty one's been kind of rocky for some people. Uh, not everyone has liked the the Trials of the Tempest set, you know, the Trials of the Tempest bonus, where you randomly get like various elemental effects and there's a kill streak component, and people haven't been super into it. Uh, they did make some changes to make it less disruptive because one of the problems was that the buff was so visually distinctive that it was actually obscuring gameplay for people. Like they couldn't. They couldn't see what was going on around them, so they were like accidentally standing in things because there was so much stuff going on. Uh, standing in things in Diablo is even worse than in World of Warcraft. Uh, that's one of the things I've always loved is like you know there was one raid fight in WoW I remember describing as the Super Bowl of not standing in things. <laughs> uh, but that's Diablo all the time, so people were a little upset that this buff was so visually dramatic that they were actually accidentally standing in things. So it got altered, but people still weren't super happy. So. Blizzard has done what they had said they might do, and they've added a second benefit to Season 21, just like they did in Season 20. Season 21, they added Treasure Goblins, the double Treasure Goblin bonus. They, they put them back, the one from Season 14. They put that in Season 20. Now, Season 15's bonus of double Heradric Caches when you do bounties has been put into Season 21. So you're effectively getting the effects of double Heradric Caches whenever you do a Season Bounty in addition to the Trials of the Tempest buff, which is still present in the game. I, on the one hand, it's not Double Treasure Goblins, which I just viscerally love, because it's like you hear the Double Treasure Goblins and you just go, Oh, did Goblin kill? But <laughs> it's, it's accurate. Cool. It's accurate. It's, it's pretty cool, because it is, you know, you get double chances for legendaries, you get a lot more stuff you can put into the cube or use, You might, get, and as your difficulty goes up, as you, you ramp up in Torment... The, the rewards get better from the caches, so you're getting double chances to get geared up to do higher level Greater Rifts. And it's it just for Herodric caches. It's not for the Greater Rift cache. It's not for any other cache in the game. It's just for Herodric caches. So it's not going to scale out of control. So I generally think it's good. It is not as exciting as some other bonuses might have been, but it is an interesting way to go in terms of dealing with it. I know you're not currently playing much Diablo, so I'm not sure if you have anything you want to really add to this, Joe. No, I'm playing Diablo. I actually started a new character for uh, a barbarian for, you know, grins and giggles. So yeah, you're I'm, playing the right class. Okay, yeah. There we go. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm actually kind of excited for this because I think it's kind of I think it's cool. I think it's a neat idea and it's an extra little bonus and it, it's enticing. I love it. I, I think it's a great. I don't really have much else to add to it. I just think it's cool. Oh, yeah, that's. And that's all we need, really. Um, but yeah, that's that happening. At this point, that does kind of wrap us up for news we, we've covered. That was actually a pretty busy news week for us in terms of stuff to talk about. There was a couple we kind of left out, but, you know, hey, that happens. Uh, and, of course, like I said, the PTR dropping was brand new. Like, that happened today. So, yep. we, you know, we, we've covered that to the best we could with the, the limited runtime. But right now we're going to do the, the emails and questions that we usually do. Um, so if you have... A question for the show, you can go to our Discord, and you can go to our Patron Q and Podcast channel if you're a patron. That means you get first chance of getting a question answered here on the show. Or you can go to the Q channel. That's not for. It's just for anybody. That gets looked at after um, when we when we have time to make sure we can get as many questions as possible. Or you can email us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch, so we know it's for this show. Or if you decide you want to you just let it up to you know, God's a chance to see who, who talks about your question, you can do that. Um, this week, I actually did skip one that I, that I could have answered, answered because I wanted to let Joe have it for next week's 
lore watch, but usually I'm not that nice. Usually I steal them from him whenever I can. It's pretty uh, cutthroat here. Yeah, we, we're like we're like Muppets in a fighting ring in, in a, an Imagine Dragons song. Yeah. Why did I reference that video? That no video clue. But anyway, okay. Uh, if you were listening to the pre-show, you heard me actually read an email like I used to in the old days. But we're not doing that now. Joe's going to read them. That way I get a little time to not be talking and drink some water. <laughs> All right. Our first question. Hello, Squall viewers. This is Neruseru, son of Suggle Kitten. I was wondering if the Zandalar trolls in Battle for Azeroth ever comment on the mass genocide we did during the Thunder King shenanigans during Pandaria. I feel like they would at least be a little upset with us stopping that plan, but it never seems to be brought up. Thanks, y'all, for answering. Good luck with your rare drops. Uh, well, wasn't the extent of that not really fully known to the Zandalari? The thing is, is a those Zandalari you're killing on the on the Thunder King's Island are Zul's yeah. Zandalar, and he was given them basically to shut him up. Like they were his loyal followers and people who thought he's he was right, and the the you know Rastakhan was like, fine, fine, here's some boats, go do whatever, just leave me alone. I'm tired of hearing about this. So they took some boats and they went over and they they raised the Thunder King. Absolutely none of that was sanctioned. That was just Zul doing what he wanted to do with like his own loyal followers. And Rastakhan and the Zandalari proper were like, okay, whatever. Um, keep in mind that that was back when Zul was convinced that the islands was going to sink. Yeah. And, it, and there was some sinking. Um, Nazmir was not that swampy. Like the water, the water level was significantly lower. You can see signs of it when you go to Nazmir. You can look around and you can tell that these places are recently submerged. But the whole place didn't sink like like Zul thought it was gonna. And it's debatable why that didn't happen. It's possible that the Loa stepped in and didn't allow the islands to sink. And we know Zul doesn't really like the Loa very much. No, and they don't really care for him. Yeah, so there was definitely that issue. They might have been trying to get rid of uh, Gahoon. Like, they just sink the whole thing. That's often something, you know, on Azeroth. Oh, we have a problem with something vaguely old god related. Just bury it. it. Just bury it. Just put it. Bury it, sink it, whatever. Just get it down there. Down there. So that's possibly what happened. It's never actually stated. But we do know that these, the Zandalar that we kill on on the Isle of Thunder are not in the good graces of, of the rest of the Zandalar. They're not considered, you know, good citizens. Secondly, I really kind of object to mass genocide. They were an army of invaders. <laughs> it's, it's more like, I mean, did we kill a bunch of them? Yeah, but we it, hardly you can be argued to be genocide, uh, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, just, I don't... I, I, I'm going to just say that. Even if you take the most, like, whatever faction you're on, I think we can all agree that those guys were jerks and they were attacking both sides quite effectively. And they were, their whole plan was to eventually invade the entirety of Azeroth. So it was definitely less of a, they were not hardly innocent trolls minding their own business and much more less innocent trolls working for a crazy prophet who wanted to bring back one of the most tyrannical despots ever to live on Azeroth and use his power to gain themselves a new homeland. Uh, and they were going to carve that homeland out of Pandaria. So yeah, I I and, I feel like the Zandalari would be like better that those guys are gone. And and there are offhanded comments like Padilla in chat points out, and this is something I was actually going to bring up too 
Talanji mentions during the Vol'jin quest that, you know, Zul's dream of the Troll Empire was tempting, uh, and then praises Vol'jin for resisting. It's not the only time that they mention it. Even when you first go and talk with uh, King Rastakhan, uh, and, like, you're interacting with Zul, like, there's hints to it, there's allusions to it, like, they know somewhat what happened, uh, because, obviously, Zul's back and he still has followers, uh, that's a whole big major plot point, but I also, I agree with Matt, it's not, what happened in Pandaria wasn't genocide, it was literally whatever army of followers Zul could bring with him and unleash upon them, uh, in that area, that's not the same thing. So, yeah, not not genocide, but also they definitely did not sweep it under the rug so much. Uh, but for whatever reason, Rastakhan still trusted Zul. Don't know why. I don't know if he did trust him. That's actually an interesting point to think about. I've, I've done enough of that storyline now. I don't know if I'd say Rastakhan trusted Zul so much as Rastakhan was overconfident in his own ability to deal with Zul. Mm. I mean, that's yeah, what maybe. Things, I mean, he still he still did make the incredibly bad decision to go up on that freaking you know get kicked off and almost killed, but you know regard, requiring him to ultimately make a deal with with Bonsamdi. but I definitely felt like it wasn't that Rastakhan was unaware of Zul so much as he underestimated how far he'd go. Like nobody believed he'd turn on the Loa like that. That's just that was unthinkable to them. They didn't understand what he'd seen, what he'd experienced, the the ideas that he learned when he was working with the with the uh, the Mogu. He made that council of uh, like you know the, like the, the Faraki and the, Dra- the 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 Drakar and all the other trolls that he could get his hands on, and he learned what they'd been doing. You know the, the Zulaman experience, the, the Zuldrak experience. They'd been consuming their Loa and merging with them. And he thought he saw this and thought, you know, he'd already he didn't like the Loa as it was. Why not use him as a power supply? And I think that that's just was so unthinkable to like Rastakhan, because Rastakhan had a very deep spiritual relationship with the Loa. I mean, the Loa of Kings was effectively, you know, it was almost part of him. So that idea was just so her. I, I just I want to stick up for Rastakhan here. I don't think he ignored Zul, but I think he just did not get how bad it was. Yeah, maybe. And I, I could buy that to a certain degree. Plus, he'd ruled for how long? Didn't he listen to like the you know the king for like a hundred something years? Yeah, easily. Yeah, so he he'd been through a lot. He had a lot of faith in his own ability, maybe too much, but yeah, it was. <sighs> yeah, he he definitely he definitely backed the wrong horse there. I'll I'll totally give you that one. He definitely thought more of his own ability than was warranted. Yeah. So hopefully that answers your question and gives you a little more. Uh perspective on what happened back then so our next question hello watchers this question was prompted by the recent article on the lightforge uh i bought the game well into bfa and as a result i only leveled through the previous expansions for a zone or two each specifically i have very little experience with draenei content i leveled out of warlords of draenor at the end of shadowmoon valley i never even reached the lightforged void elf content in legion and the only experience i have of bc is grinding botanica on my demon hunter to qualify for my heritage armor 
am I completely confused about how the the Zenadar, the Genadar, the uh, the Exodar, Tempest Keep, Ashagon, the Vindicar, and the Botanica all fit together? I tried researching it on Wildpedia, but I just got more confused. I think they all used to be part of the same ship that's separated into several pieces, but I'm not sure. Am I wrong? Uh, what exactly is the deal with all these ships, and how are they related to each other? Will I understand better if I play through all the content I skipped over? Thanks, and keep up the great podcast, Willerin, Human Arms Warrior. I mean, I do understand it. I don't know if it, if you all necessarily understand it if you played through all the content. I don't think they ever really fully explained it in the game, honestly. Some of it, some of it is in Chronicle. Uh, but yeah. for instance, I, I can tell you up front, the Vindicar was created recently. It was never part of any of those ships. It's built using construction techniques based on those ships, but it is a new construction. It's a new ship. Uh, it's much smaller. For one thing, the Vindicar is is small enough to actually go inside Antorus. Um, the other ships, like the Zenadar, the Genadar, uh, the, the Botanica, Architraz, I'm not 100% sure about Zenadar and Genadar actually being part of Tempest Keep. I don't think they were. They were, They were. I believe, they were their own one ship that split. Yeah. Um, but the, the ships that were part of, of Tempest Keep were, Tempest Keep itself um, was the main structure. And then it had the Architraz, the Botanica. Um, I can't remember the third one. I never can. Mechanar. There we go. So th- those three were part of it. And also the Exodar. Those four were part of the Tempest Keep construct. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zenadar and Genadar, I'm pretty sure, were in fact separate ships. They were not part of it. The Genadar is the ship that the, uh, the Drenai were fleeing in. It, they were not fleeing inside Tempest Keep. Tempest Keep came later. That was a major structure of the Naru. Yeah, the Tempest Keep Naru was, flagship. Te- Tempest Keep literally it was essentially when like the name says a keep a fortress. Right? Like the yeah. the ships that the ships that the areas that we go to are pieces that rotate a central spire. Like that's sort of what they are. They weren't they, we I don't think we know exactly how they were created. Well, basically, it's it's just stated that they're Naru ships. They, right. These were made by the Naru. In terms of how the Naru do anything, we don't really know. We don't yeah. know how. We know that Naru use a crystalline technology that isn't. It's like inherent to themselves and is in fact very similar to them. Like to the point where the when you read the story that the the uh, Velen Anduin story back in Kakata, the one about you know. Anduin learning from Velen, but Velen also learning he has to get more involved. He they straight up say that the Exodar is alive. Yeah. It's a living thing. And it's they're they're trying to repair it so it can fly, but that also requires healing it. And then when when uh in in Legion, when the Naru at the center of it died, the ship lost its ability to travel. Like the ship can't go anywhere now because the Naru is dead. They needed the Naru to fly it. Uh, that's not the case for the Vindicar. The Vindicar does not need a Naru in it to fly it. Um, but it, it implies that the bigger ships, like the Zenadar, the Genadar, Tempest Keep, and all the smaller ones, like the Exodar, all required a Naru to pilot them, which makes them different than the Vindicar. The Vindicar is, a, is a, again, it's a more Draenei yeah. ship, built on the same technology, but it can be powered by, by less. It doesn't require a Naru to fly the thing. For you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me almost a little bit of like Farscape, if that makes sense. 
with like the difference between the main ship and then like Talon that was born, like the there's just the differences between the two. Like it's yeah, sort of it, that might in fact be a way to look at it. I mean we've again some of this is coming from Chronicle, some of this is coming from other sources. Like we, we hear a little bit about it in Worlds of Draenor, but the Lightforge themselves were on the Xenadar this whole time. It, the Lightforge Draenei were the Vindicar that they're on now is not the ship they were on mm-hmm. for 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 the like for the last however many thousands of years. They've been wandering around the Twisting Nether fighting the Legion with with Zira, and they were very definitely Zira was a Naru Prime. It's pretty obvious that Adal is a Naru Prime. He doesn't say it. There's never any point where he says I'm a Naru Prime, but but he he's is. the one he's the one who piloted the the Tempest Keep to where he to, you know to Outland in the first place. Um. He was the one who was in charge of, of Tempest Keep. When you actually go to the Eye, that's the other thing. Tempest Keep isn't the the raid isn't Tempest Keep. The raid is the Eye. The Eye, yeah. And Tempest Keep is all of it. It's it's the Alcatraz, the Mechanar, Botanica, and Exodar. All of that plus the Eye is Tempest Keep. When Exodar got taken, they basically the 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 Blood Elves invaded and took over. The eye, and then as a counterattack, the Draenei attacked and stole the Exodar and escaped in it because they had a Naru in it still, to, and so it could be moved. And keep in mind, a lot of this could be changed later, like because they've they've not talked about it a lot. So we're kind of going by what they have mentioned, but they've mentioned only little little bits and pieces. And that's just something you kind of have to live with when you're talking about this kind of stuff. But, yeah, yeah, because in I, terms I, of Go ahead. In terms of the ships, the 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 Zenadar and Genadar appear to be the first ships you you hear about. The Genadar is the is the ship that comes to Argus and evacuates the Dra- the Draenei when they leave. Uh, the Zenadar is the ship that they that the ones who want to fight the Legion go with Zira on, and they they get on the the Zenadar with her and go off to fight the Legion. While the ones who are just going to try and survive with Velen taking them and with with Kara remember they, they had two Naru in the Exodar I mean in the Genadar they had Kara and then they had oh I want to say Muru but that's not right the one that's uh, in Ashagun because Ashagun is the Genadar Kuri yeah Kuri so Kuri and Kara were the were the Naru who were in the Genadar and when it crashed Kara got ejected over over basically what is now the Temple of Karabor, um, and Kure was killed when the ship crashed, and he went into his void state. And that started happening to Kara as well, because she was basically floating in the void above Shadowmoon Valley. That's why it's Shadowmoon Valley, because there's a big void entity floating around the place. Um, if you went to Shadowmoon Valley in, in uh, Warlords, you got to see all of that. That's the the difference between our Shadowland, between our Shadowmoon Valley, and the one on that Draenor, is that that Draenor's Kara was purified. We don't know what happened to our Kara. We've never seen her. We Temple of Karabor is there. We know that they knew about her. We know that the the uh, Shadowmoon clan of of orcs still kind of knew about the Dark Star and possibly yep. tapped into it, but we don't know what happened to Kara. We've never seen her. She has not appeared in our timeline. 
Yeah, I mean, that pretty much sums it up. I don't know I really have anything else to add to it. Uh, but again, to sort of go back to the, me- the the real heart of it, playing through the content isn't going to give you the complete story. Um, you can read, there's some stuff in Rise of the Horde, um, which has some stuff about Ashigun, uh, as you can get a little more background there. Uh, there are several like things in Chronicle about it, but honestly, if you want a complete view of it, that's going to be your best bet. Uh, it's going to give you the most high-level uh, overview of those ships and how they sort of relate to each other. Uh, the in-game stuff, it it's from a different time when they were playing fast and loose with story quite a bit. Um, so there's not a whole lot to really pick off of. And then Warlords of Draenor is probably the most information that you really get about Ashagan. Um Yeah, and Ashagan and the Genadar are the same ship. Yeah. And Tempest Keep is made up of the Eye, the Exodar, Mechanar, Botanica, and uh, Architraz. Yep. So that's that's the Xenadar and Genadar are separate ships. The uh, Tempest Keep it's got the Exodar, Botanica, and all those in it. Uh, Ashagun is the Genadar, and the Vindicar is a is essentially like the Exodar's little daughter thing. Like they made the Vindicar out of the Exodar. And it is a smaller ship. It is kind of like a scout ship. It's when you go to Argus on it, it is it's not made to travel through the dimensions as aggressively as those ships does. You notice it needs it needs the the rift that Illidan made to get there. But it can go inside like it's it's it has a pretty big weapon on it, and it can go inside uh, the Intaurus, which is not something you could have done on the Xenadar. So those, those are basically the ships. That much we can tell you. All right. Our next question comes from Strip Miner, Goblin Shaman on Asgalore. Rossi's comments about the gear feeling a little bit off in beta had me thinking about the old raids once Shadowlands hits. Are they enabled in beta? And if so, have you seen any uh, reports how it feels going back and running them after the level gear squish? I haven't done uh, anything on them. Have you? Yes, uh, I went back and ran up to um, the end of Cataclysm, uh, Dragon Soul, at level 50. And in the gear that I have now, just switched to, like, when I when I imported my character, my character's level 50, my gear is like 105 item level. And I went up to Dragon Soul, and I had no difficulty. Like, wasn't a problem. Went in Dragon Soul... I did it, I think on, I think Heroic is the highest. They don't have Mythic yet in Dragon Soul. And I just blew it up. Hmm. Stuff was just dying in like one or two hits. So I haven't gone beyond that just because I really hadn't felt like I had time. Like I had other stuff to do. But I think at least up to like Warlords content is going to be re- relatively easily soloable. There might be some difficulty with Legion stuff. Because... One thing I have noticed when I was on Warlords of Draenor doing, I was hunting for the snake to tame on my hunter. I was level 43. My my hunter, who was at the time was like level 106, got crushed down to level 43. And stuff on there were four level 40 elites on that Draenor, and I was actually having some difficulty fighting them. Not like they weren't crushing me, but I was actually having to work. 
So once you get the leveling up to a certain level, it might be harder. I don't know. I know that stuff that was like level 35, level 40 stuff was dying pretty quick to my level 50. So take that for what it's worth. It does not cover everything. It's not comprehensive. But it does feel like they're at least trying to get it right before it goes live. Hmm. Well... Uh, I have nothing really else to add about that, so I'll report back when I start actually doing some of that. I've been a little too engrossed with the Shadowlands actual content versus going back, but it's a good reason yeah, for me to go back I've, and take a look. I've actually been trying to do at least a little reports of what it's like to level and what it's like to solo, because that's, those are two of the things I love to do. So I've been at least trying to run through some of that on the beta. It definitely feels like they have, they've got it in mind. Our next question... Uh, Greetings, Battle Lord Rossi and Farseer Perez, Lord Soth again, this time coming at you with some StarCraft questions. StarCraft has always been a favorite of the Blizzard franchise as a kid, uh, and even now occupies a place of I wish they would do something with it in my heart. I love it so much that I homebrewed most Zerg units as D&D 5e monsters, and in the next couple of months, my two-plus-year campaign is going to wrap up with a 20th-level battle against my version of Kerrigan. As an adult, I was beyond excited for StarCraft 2, and while the Wings of Liberty campaign offer great promise, I find myself ultimately underwhelmed by the whole Kerrigan is a god question mark thing that it ended on. I have so much love for that universe and I want to see it come back. What, if anything, do you think a return to the franchise would look like? Would it be another attempt at an RTS or something else? I've always been particularly fond of the idea of a StarCraft-based flight simulator game in the old Rogue Squadron or X-Wing vs. TIE Fighter games. I'm aware that StarCraft seems to virtually be a dead franchise now, but the heart wants what the heart wants. Thanks. Um, I mean, I will, tell, I will kind of point out that they were working on a StarCraft thing as recently as a few years ago. Um, the Overwatch 2 that we're getting was a basically originally work them working on a starcraft thing mm -hmm. using the overwatch engine and then they were like why don't we just do this with overwatch um i would like them to try consider doing one of those 4x type games like a civ like a civ 7 or something but with starcraft yeah i think that would be kind of cool um i would also like them to do a dragon age slash witcher type rpg with starcraft I think that would be really... I mean, they tried that with Ghost, and then they didn't do it, and I don't think there's never been any move back towards it, but I think that would be a really good use of the franchise, and it would give people a chance to like step away from the really weird Zelnaga stuff that the end of that whole thing kind of got to. I wasn't opposed to it, but it did get kind of confusing. I would like... To, you know, I think it would be really good to do a single-player RPG of the Witcher type, where you could play... As a member of the, you could be a Terran or a, a Protoss or even a Zerg. Playing as a Zerg would be interesting because you'd have to kind of like deal with the whole hive mind thing. But you could play as one of those, uh, whatever the Haka is. I don't, I don't remember the Primal Zerg. You could play yeah. as a Primal Zerg, uh, which are more like dinosaurs than than you know, little bit of everything the way that the the Zergs are. There, there's a lot of potential, I think, and I would like to see that. But I mean, for that matter. The, the flight sim idea I'd never would have occurred to me, but it's not a bad one. Uh, you definitely would need to like come up with... I feel like it would need more of a campaign story around based around the idea. Like, But that's one of the things that made the, the Rogue Squadron games really good. Um, was the idea of, you know, you were in Rogue Squadron. And that was a big part of the game. So I, I, yeah, there's definitely some room for that. What do you think, Joe? 
So StarCraft is a, has always been a favorite franchise of mine, and I will flat out say that when StarCraft II came out, I was very, very excited about it, and what we actually got kind of disappointed me. Um, there wasn't nearly enough. Like, I played through the StarCraft II Wings of Liberty stuff, burned through it real quick, I thought it was fine, and then everything just kind of went real weird real quick like it felt like it didn't have a direction it didn't know what it wanted to do and all the while still trying to balance everything around the whole concepts of rts i think starcraft should be split into two very distinct forms at this point an rts for the competitive player versus player stuff absolutely that's some of the most fun i think that is still out there in rts lands uh of all the rts games that are available but I think StarCraft is prime to branch Blizzard into other genres. And Matt sort of hit on this as well. Like, we know first-person shooters are starting to come back. And I'm not just talking about, like, Overwatch and Overwatch 2. But if you look at the success of, like, the recent... Uh, ca- uh, why can't I think of the name of it now? Wolfenstein games. Uh, Doom, Doom Eternal. Like, these are popular games. They do really, really well. And I could see them maybe revisiting that idea of Ghost and maybe revisiting the idea of you playing through something like that as one of the the Ghost agents and maybe not Nova for whatever reason, but maybe it's something else. Um, I think that would be great. I also think that StarCraft probably would be one of those really, really interesting games to do an RPG setting with. Like... The idea of having almost like a Bioware-style RPG universe or like set in the universe of StarCraft really, truly appeals to me. It, it's There's so many planets, and we barely see any of them, but we know from what we see in the cutscenes and the, the, the lore in the books that there are different planets that have different cultures, that have different uh, sort of setups, like they have... The Wild West planets, they have, you know, the industrial planets, they have, you know, militaristic planets. We could have a an extremely varied game that takes place at maybe not the level of Kerrigan and them. Because I think maybe while that's like the backdrop of the story and that's like the major beats and everything, that was one of the things I loved about some of the old Bioware games. Whereas here's these major things happening, and here you are over here doing this thing. Uh kind of like Star Wars the Old Republic with the uh, the the MMO, uh, a lot of the individual story stuff, while it ties in with the bigger things, it's more here's what's happening here and we're focusing on this and your interactions throughout it. I think that that would work really well for the StarCraft franchise. Um, you're talking about a Witcher-style RPG. I would absolutely be down for something like that. I think it has that potential to really carry it. But that, that is the significant problem, right? Is that this is a, a franchise that is ripe with ideas, ripe with potential, has had a ton of, I know, Sylvia, I like it too, uh, has a ton of, of ways it could go. Like the stuff we know about how Marines are made now, the stuff that we know about like the penal colonies, the stuff with the Confederacy, uh, the star, the stuff with the Dominion and everything else that's going on there. There's so much that they could tap into to produce some really cool games. I want to see them do that. I want to see a revival of these these ideas. I want to see a revival of this franchise into a form that actually does it some form of credit. Because Warcraft's pretty much set. 
right? We know what's we we know the type of game it's going to be. We don't really have to worry about that. Overwatch has its own thing going. Diablo has its own thing going. They all feel like they belong. Um, but yeah, seriously, give me something new with StarCraft. And like Matt said, if they decided to go the Civ route with it, I'd be fine with that too. Just something to give me something more in this universe, in that setting, because there really hardly has been anything worthwhile in a very long time. Oh, sorry. That was a, that was a whole lot. <laughs> no, that's, that's, you know what we're here for. Uh, I will say that one of the things I've always wanted to see them do more with is the idea of old earth returning to the copper loose sector. They've done it. They've touched on it. It's been part of the game for a while, but I would love to see a game that really dealt with it. I really like dug into that whole, this is what you left behind. This is what earth is like. Cause that's the one thing we don't really know much about in Starcraft is like the, the world yeah. they left. And that would be pretty cool. But okay, that's pretty much it for the show. I mean, we've got one more email here, but it's actually pretty long. And I'm hoping we'll we'll save it and push it along until next week. Or maybe even talk about it on the Lore Watch, because it could be either. We'll see what happens there. Uh, uh, although, here's, guys- a, here's, a, here's a quick one, though, from the chat, though, that we could probably answer. Okay, sure. Uh, Audio Luke says, he wonders if Blizzard will ever do another MMO after Project Titan failed. Um, no, probably not. I... And- I think like they've got the one MMO they need. At this point, they would just compete against themselves. Yeah, right? and it's like I don't know. I mean, the, the right now the the MMO field is basically WoW, Final Fantasy, and then a bunch of smaller stuff. Uh, and the smaller stuff is niche. I mean, that's nothing wrong with that. I like niche gaming. It's but that's just the way it is. And a lot of games have come and gone. Like games like Wildstar, I'm I'm still amazed Wildstar didn't make it. Same, absolutely the same. I loved Wildstar. Um, the fact that City of Heroes, a lot of times, and that's the thing, a lot of times gaming markets, it's not that the game isn't profitable. It's just not profitable enough to justify to them the outlay. Like the 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 amount of time and effort it takes to keep an MMO going, is actually pretty substantial. Yeah. Um, so if the game's not big enough, the the companies don't feel like it's worth their time. I'm not just saying I agree with this, but it is the way it is. I don't imagine that happening, but it could. You know, they could decide, hey, we're gonna do, we're gonna do a StarCraft MMO. Who knows? We will find out. But Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at Patreon.com/slash/BlizzardWatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on the podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Thank you, Joe. Uh, again, you guys, if you have a question for the show, you can either hit us up on our Discord, where you can go to the Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel, or the just plain old Q Questions channel, and you can ask questions for the show there. Or you can email us at podcast.blizzardwatch.com, subject line podcast of Blizzard Watch, so we know it's for the show. Thank you guys so much for being here with us. This has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast. I like Alpha Flight. <laughs> <laughs>